Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Hey, so we've been reading the book of Jeremiah. We're going to talk a bit about Jeremiah. Then I'm going to jump into the New Testament just a little bit because I had to. All right? But we're going to enjoy some word today. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to enjoy some word today? Good. All right. Come on. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, he was called the weeping prophet. And if you've been reading along, you almost want to cry with him because it's rough. So Jeremiah the weeping prophet, and he prophesied uh, during... Uh, several, five different kings, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. And he was a prophet during the time when they actually went on the full-on nasty rebellion, and they just totally blew it, and they ended up going into captivity. So he saw the destruction of Jerusalem and all the rest of that stuff. In fact, he didn't just see it. He prophesied it, told it was going to happen, and told him, there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to get ugly. So Jeremiah was that guy. Thankfully, there was a few good parts in there, which we've read to you already, and that's pretty much it. But, <laughs> but Jeremiah, he, he prophesied, served the Lord, and five kings. The first king, Josiah. I mean, Josiah, a young man, became king when he was eight. Last week, we talked about him, and Habakkuk and Zephaniah were prophets during his day. And, and when he found the law, he said, let's all obey the law, everybody. I found the word of God. Let's all do our very best. And he, he tore down you know the ugly idols and systems and he told everybody let's worship God but you know when you have a covenant that has no power it's never going to work no matter how much you read the law to people it's not going to make them holy no matter how much you tell them what God expects it's not going to change their lives literally the Bible itself says the power of sin is the law so he's telling let's obey the law and literally doing that over and over again he's just reinforcing in the people that we are miserable we can't make it we can't do it praise the Lord isn't that exciting so this is Jeremiah he experienced that he was prophesying even during the reign of Josiah who was trying to turn the people back to God Jeremiah even in the reign of Josiah was prophesying you're all evil you're all no good no matter what you're doing, I'm not for you. It's just rough, rough all the way around. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, isn't that awesome? All right, okay. So then you got he ministered during the destruction of Jerusalem. Their captivity, his contemporaries were other prophets, Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Daniel, Ezekiel. He would have gone to church with these guys. He would have hung out with them. They would have read each other's stuff. They would have known what each other was saying. These were all contemporaries. They were all hanging out in the same church. Also in Chronicles, talks about Jeremiah. It says the prophet Jeremiah composed the funeral songs for Josiah. And to this day, the choir still sing those sad songs about his death. They were sad Josiah died he really did want to serve God. He really was trying to get the people to serve God, but even his death was miserable because when God spoke, let the Egyptians go through, he didn't pay attention, and he got killed. And so sad life, sad story. So he wrote those, these songs of sorrow have become a tradition and are recorded in the book of Laments. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Jeremiah 1, 5 to 12. Jeremiah says, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. That's true. God knew you. 
God knew you. God knew you. God loved you. God's been for you since before the world began. God knew you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God's got purpose for your life. God's got designs for your life. He's got things for your life just like he had for Jeremiah. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. And the Lord replied, don't say I'm too young and don't say you're too young. Whatever. Don't say I can't do it. Whatever God calls you to do, that word itself has the power to bring it to manifestation in your life. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you, says the Lord, and do whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and he touched my mouth and he said, look, I have put my words on your mouth. Today, I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. And you do see that in Jeremiah. He didn't just prophesy about Judah. He prophesied about all the nations of the world and even the nations in the future. So he set him up as a prophet to the nations. Today, I appoint you. Some you must uproot and tear down. Isn't that amazing that with a word, with the word of the Lord, I mean, with the word of the Lord, things are lifted up and torn down. You might think it's another kingdom or another nation, but it's the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is says, I will lift up, uproot, and tear down. I will destroy and overthrow, and others you must build up, and you must plant. Then the Lord said to me, look, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I replied, I see a branch from an almond tree. And the Lord said, that's right. And it means this. It means that I am watching over my word. I am watching, and I will certainly carry out my plans. Another translation says, the Lord watches over his word to perform it. When the Lord gives you his word, and you've got his word, you get his word on your mouth, and his word on your mouth will bring to pass the purpose of God. God himself watches over his word, and he makes sure it comes into manifestation. So this is his beginning, an amazing calling, a prophet to the nations. So uh, Josiah legislates the worship of God, and all that will ever do is create mixture, because you can't do it. So ultimately, you're going to live a life of constant conflict, knowing that you want to, but you can't. And mixture is a horrible thing, because it just leads to to self-condemnation and defeat, or it leads to faking and thinking, I'm actually not doing too bad. So this is the horrible culture that Josiah began trying to legislate that. They do the temp, they, they do the temple and their own forms of idolatry. So there's mixture. They've got the temple reestablished, so they're all doing that, keep the king happy, but they're all doing their own thing as well. And they're not really doing justice. They're not really honoring God. It's not really being manifest in their life because the people they should be caring about, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, all of these things, that's what Jeremiah's prophesying against. I mean, you're trying to serve God, but you're not doing and your heart is not towards others. You're not honoring other people in your life. So self-improvement always leads to more sin. But this world is drunk on self-improvement. Try this, try that, join that class, join this. I went to this course, I'm taking this right now. It's making me so much better. We are intoxicated on trying to improve ourselves. And it's there, and it's the flesh is, is crying out, I'm okay, I'm good, look, I'm doing a good job with me. You know, that's going to lead to just utter total defeat. When you actually just give in to the fact that, you know what, God, that's pretty messed up without you. He comes in, empowers you, and he brings into manifestation everything that God has for your life. And so the first thing to really walk with God is you got to absolutely deplore your own self-righteousness. Can he get an amen? Hey, Janet, is that you down there? Is that Joshua too? Bless you guys. Liberty's here too? Oh, that's fantastic. Isn't that good news? Man, we're so happy for you guys. So good. 
And I'm telling you, I knew it. I was confident, you know, that God was going to do it. She's a champion. I'm just amazed at her character and her posture in it all as a young child and her confidence that I'm coming through this. So bless her, Lord. Thank God for it in Jesus, Jesus' name. So let's pop off to Jeremiah 15. You ready? This is good news right here. You ready? Wowzers. I will send four kinds of destroyers among you, says the Lord. I will send the sword to kill, the dog to drag away, the vulture to devour, the wild animals to finish up what's left. Because of the wicked things of Manasseh, I will make my people an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I mean, man, I'm telling you, I'm going to thoroughly deal with this because of, and so you, you could, if you read that without understanding there's a new covenant, you could say, wow, if you do bad stuff, God's going to get mad at you. And, and you can even, God can be mad at you for the bad stuff of your forefathers. I mean, I wasn't even alive during Manessa's time, but I'm going to experience all of this mess because, you know, granddad was miserable. Like, you got a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that can completely mess up your head. So here's this. I mean, that, that's, that's rough stuff. Jeremiah 2.19. Got to get this. Talked about it last week, but just reinforce it again. God isn't the one who does all of it. It's not like God's not like, at the, you know, the whack a mole at the fair. You know, the, the gopher pops up and he's, he's up there with this. God's not the one who does it. Look what it says. Your wickedness will bring its own punishment. The Bible everywhere says sin has its own punishment. You see, it's not, not God. God's not freaked out. See, even with God, sin isn't a great big issue. God came and he covered your sin. He dealt with your sin. He's a friend of sinners. But, but we got the idea that it's my sin is the problem. Your sin is not the problem with God. Your sin is a problem with yourself. See, what sin does is sin brings in your head confusion. Sin causes you to think, I'm an enemy of God. It says you're an enemy of God in your mind. So where is the enemy? It's in your mind. It's in your own head. Sin messes you up so bad, and God knows that sin's not a good thing because it screws you up so bad, and I want you to avoid it because sin brings with it, built in to sin, is its own punishment. So that's right. You've turned from me, and it'll shame you. You will see an evil thing, bitter thing. And when you abandon the Lord and you don't fear him, I said that, me, the Lord of the armies of heaven. So we got to see all of this, though, through the filter of the cross and through the new covenant, or you can see how quickly we can turn this thing into, uh, I do good, God's for me, I do bad, he hates me. And that's not the way it is. God will never, ever not love you. He constantly loves you. You've never lived an unloved moment, and God is constantly for you, and you got to know that, all right? Okay, Jeremiah chapter 15 again. Amazing chapter, Jeremiah 15, 10. Then I said, what sorrow is mine, my mother? Oh, that I had died at birth. This is the, the man of God. He said, man, my ministry stinks. I mean, all I do is tell people, death, doom, destruction, saith the Lord. I'll be back at three. <laughs> Part two, death, doom, destruction, said the Lord. You're all dying. I, I, he told me not even to pray for you anymore. <laughs> it's over. I mean, Moses, Elijah, anybody, people who had influence on him, even if they stood up, he'd say, nope, I'm not turning my mind. I mean, the guy had a pretty horrible word. So he says, what sorrow was mine? Oh, that my mother, oh, my mother, oh, that I had died in childbirth. He says, I am hated everywhere I go. Now, I had a period in time, it was a long time ago, a long time ago, it had to be a long time, we still lived on Clara Crescent, which was the first five years I was here in town, a long time ago, but I came home one day, had a rough day, did you know sometimes in ministry you have a rough day, sometimes people send you nasty emails and tell you you're not all that, and uh, so a lot of your own pride and self-righteousness gets a kick in the head, but 
I was going, man, Cheryl, I think I'm pretty awesome. And I just keep on getting these people telling me I'm not that great. And I just, just can't take it anymore. I don't know why I'm doing this. Why did my dad tell me to go into ministry? I can't take it anymore. And Cheryl went and got her Bible. And I said, oh, thank you. Bring me the word of the Lord. And here's what she read to me. Well, let's go on to the next slide. Boom. Why is my pain unending and my wound is grievous and deplorable? You are to me like a deceptive rook, like a spring that fails. That's what I was saying. I was saying to Cheryl, God called me into this and it's been nothing but pain. It's been nothing but hardship. I mean, everybody said, you're called to ministry. It's going to be so awesome. It's going to be so good. And it stinks. I can't believe how painful this is. God, you promised refreshing and I came for refreshing and the brook was dry. You've been a deceptive brook. You lied to me. You called me into this and it's been nothing but pain. And I said, honey, help me now. Agree with me. And here's what she did. She said, therefore, this is what the Lord says to you. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you get rid of these utterly unworthy, worthless words, you can be my spokesman. I went, what? That's the best you got? She really did. I kid you not. And I can't believe she did it. But it was what I needed to hear. She said, quit the pity party. I don't join pity parties. We're here. We're in this. God's called us. Suck it up, buttercup. And you know what? You better change your conversation and change the way you view this because God called you. And if you turn around and change your mind and stop that worthless talking, God's going to use you again. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of another. And she saw my countenance. She said, I don't like what I see. And she pulled out the iron, and she did some chipping. I've been smiling ever since. I mean, here's Jeremiah. Here's all the things he's going through. It's pretty messy stuff. But Jeremiah is like God saying, look, this is your call. It might be ugly. It might be difficult. But this is your call. He even told him, don't marry. Don't marry and don't have children. What you're called to, it's difficult stuff. Jeremiah uh, 19, 14 and 15. He stopped in front of the temple. He'd done and done a prophetic act, and then he's passing by in front of the temple. So he stops in front of the temple of the Lord, and he said to the people there, He's walking by. Everybody's just coming out of church, and everybody had a great day. Jeremiah's walking by. He stops. He says, hey, by the way, this is what the Lord of the heaven's armies, the Lord of Israel, says. I will bring disaster on the city and surrounding towns, as I promised, because you have stubbornly refused to listen to me. God bless you. Have a nice day. I mean, it's just on and on. It just just doesn't, doesn't stop. So Jeremiah 7, verse 4, it's his whole temple sermon. He says, don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple's here, the Lord's temple's here. See, he's telling these people that you've elevated this practice of worship over a relationship with God. And you got people, you're playing your messy games. There's no, no formalization of God's purpose in your hearts. You come to church, you do all that stuff. You're drunk on religion, but there's no real formation in your lives. And he's saying, look at you. Don't be fooled into saying, but I go to church, but I go to church, I go to church. I read my Bible, I pray. I did Don't be fooled by the religious performance. That means nothing. It's the formation, it's the manifestation of Christ in your lives. Now remember, this is the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, all the do, do, do was done by Jesus, so you can say it's all done, done, done. Amen? I'm so careful that we couldn't get ourselves on a treadmill of performance because, wow, the truth is like, yikes sometimes, right? 
All right, so again, back to Jeremiah verse 20. Now, Pasher, this is what happened. Right after he prophesied that, the high priest heard him. And now Pasher, the son of Amir, the priest in charge of the temple Lord that day, heard what Jeremiah said. So he went and arrested Jeremiah, and he had him whipped and put in stocks at the gate of Benjamin of the Lord's temple. So he gave that word passing by, and the priest of the day said, hey, get him over here. Whipped him and stuck him in stocks. Praise the Lord. And this guy had a pretty difficult, a pretty rough life. All right. So uh, Jeremiah 28 and 9, he says, man, when I speak, the words burst out. He says, violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But if I say I will never mention the Lord or speak his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire, like fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold on to it. I can't do it. So here's a guy who even doesn't like his own ministry. I don't even like my own preaching. I don't even like what the Lord is saying to me. I can't believe the nonsense and the the stuff that's coming out of my mouth. It's painful all the time. And yet when I say, I'm not speaking, I'm not speaking, all of a sudden, violence and destruction. This is this guy's life. Somebody say, move on. (laughs) Praise the Lord. We got to move on. I mean, oh my goodness. So difficult stuff, hard, hard stuff. He's worn out trying to hold on. But you know, Jesus also walked by the church one day. So we're going to jump into the new covenant just real quick. So here's Jesus coming to the temple. Here's Jesus coming to that same system of worship, coming to that same experience that Jeremiah was prophesying to. So go to Matthew 21. Go to Matthew 21, 12 to 17. So Jesus entered the temple. This was on the the Palm Sunday. Jesus is coming during the Feast of Passover. This is when everybody was coming, bringing their lambs to the temple, bringing their lambs so the sheep had to be inspected by the priest. The priest would inspect the sheep, and then they would say, your sheep is no good, but I've got one already approved over here that you can buy. But you can't buy it with your money. You can only use temple money. So Jesus is coming to a place, the Lamb of God is coming to the temple to be inspected. And they're telling him, you're no good, you can't do nothing. They're also saying, you're not qualified. Now, the lambs were not qualified, and there was just complete corruption in the house of God. So Jesus, here he is now, he's coming on that day during the Feast of Passover. Jesus enters the temple, and and he begins to drive out all of the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. Now, how many love that passage? How many got a soft Jesus, never ever harsh word, never nothing, Jesus, meek and mild, that's your Jesus. You have a hard time with this when he comes in. He came in and he kicked over tables. He drove. He didn't say, excuse me, guys, this isn't good. Could you please take that outside? He threw them out. I mean, he came to the temple. He knows how the temple should be. This is the house of my father, and I know what's supposed to be going on here. And he finds these people saying, oh, the sheep you brought's no good. You have to buy one of the temple sheep, and you have to use temple money. And to get temple money, it's, it's, it's 45,000 of yours for one temple piece of money. Because we can't take any of that idolatry, those corrupt things. It has to be temple. They're ripping people off. So here's people. People are coming, and their intention for coming is, I want to be reconciled with God. I'm coming. I've traveled from near and far all over the place, and I'm coming to the house of God, and I'm expecting that I will get union. I'll get restoration. I'll get freedom from my guilt and shame and sin, and I'll be reconciled to my God. And then when you show up, they go, is that what you're trying to be reconciled with? Well, that's no good. You have to toss that out, and you can buy one of these over here, and you don't have enough money to even buy one of ours. Oh, that's too bad. 
this is what's going on. I mean, people coming to experience God of gods and they're coming to a place that's telling them, you're not qualified, you're not good enough, you don't look this way, you need to be on team A and you're on team B. Team A gets in, but not you. Foreigners are disqualified. Women are disqualified. I mean, there's so many barriers. There's so many limitations to this system. And Jesus comes in and he sees them limiting and blocking people from experiencing union with God. And he comes in and he gets a little annoyed and he throws people out and he kicks over tables and says, this is not the way this should be done. Thank God that doesn't happen today. Who's on your team B? Who doesn't get to come into the presence of God? Do you have a team B? See, the, the, the church in Jerusalem, even, even after Jesus came, they had to have a whole council together to figure out why are the Gentiles experiencing God? Because for them, the Gentiles were team B. And they're going, we're team A, we're the Jews, we should have God, but why are they getting it? It's a problem. I mean, what would be a problem for you? What group of people who got baptized in the Holy Ghost, God suddenly visited, would you say, oh, no, God, no. So you put on the sign, everybody's welcome, come, welcome home, except you, except you, except you. And if you do come in, hopefully you'll change pretty soon, because I can barely tolerate sitting next to you. Oh my goodness, pastor. Settle down, we're in the New Testament now, can't you cheer up? Jesus kicked it all over. You know what was, you know what's sad about this though? You know what happened the very next day? They brought their tables back in. They set up their money changing again. All the buying and selling went back on. But this day, Jesus announced once and for all, this is not the way that my father intended it. Can you say amen? Can you say, oh me? Does anybody have team B? I hang out with team A people. Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs and those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of Tifilal, which is an intensified prophetic song of deliverance for the nations. Tifilal. That's what this place is all about. It's a song to invite all the nations, come and experience deliverance. Come to the house of the Father. That's what this house is about. And you've turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. You've turned it into a place where people get evaluated and people get judged. And, and, and you know, people have to qualify, you know, to be in a relationship with God. I just want them all to come and be restored to me, says the Lord. So my temple be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you made it a den of thieves. Listen to this now. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. I love what the message says. The message says, now there was room. Now there was room for the blind and the crippled to get in. They came, and Jesus healed them. The blind and the crippled of our culture can't even get into most churches. The broken, the hurting, the, the, the society outcast. The, I mean, we've got so many rules for who's acceptable to us. You know what? Jesus came in the room and suddenly, it, it's, it's not that it, because of what he did made it possible. It's what he did made room. The healing of all the nations, the freedom of every single person that exists is totally available right now. But sadly, in the house of God, there's no room. 
It's not that it's not possible. It's not that we've got to do something else. It's that we've got to stop doing the nonsense that hinders people from hearing the goodness of God. Is anybody here in the room? I love that it says then, it says then, the blind and the lame came then. Now there was room for the blind and the lame. What's so sad is that while they had their religious exercises set up, the blind and the lame were left blind and lame. Can anybody say amen just for fun? You can't even say oh me. Okay, good, good. So they made room for the blind, the lame, the crippled to come in, and they were healed. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles, and they even heard the children running and shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David. Praise God. The Messiah is here. And they were thrilled. They went, yes, the longing of our hearts, everything we've studied and searched in the scriptures, he's here. He has arrived. Everyone, look, the Son of David. Okay, sorry, that's not what they said. These kids are running. The kids got it. The kids got it. The kids were thrilled. The kids' hearts exploded. The Messiah, Hosanna, save us now, Messiah. And the religious people, the leaders were indignant. Indignant. Does anybody know what indignant means? I looked it up. They were really, really ticked off. People are being healed. People are being set free. The children are worshiping. It says, out of the mouths of infants and babes, I have ordained praise. Oh, it's beautiful what's going on in the house of God. Hallelujah. But the religious leader said, we got to stop this. We got to stop this. All our toys are being taken away. This is wrong. So they were indignant. Then they said and asked Jesus, said, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Haven't you heard from the scriptures? You taught the children and the infants to praise you. Then he left and he went to Bethany where he stayed overnight. And then sadly, they set it all back up again. Anyway, Jeremiah visited the house. It was doom and destruction. Jesus visited the house and he kicked out all the nonsense. He kicked out all the religion and he said, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. He made room for God to be manifest. So a few observations, you ready? A few observations, and hopefully this will help you because when Jesus comes to this house and he's in this house, we're not waiting for him to come because he's not far away, he's right here. Here's what happens. Number one, when Jesus is around, the hindrances are removed. What are the hindrances? Here's one, discrimination. That's got to go. Discrimination in every level, on every level has to go. That's one thing I love about this church. On, on Wednesday night, I was talking about the church here, and I said well, there were five S's in the sermon. It was really good. But one of the S's was stretching. And what I love about our church is that if you come here, you'll be stretched. And you'll be stretched uh, you know, generationally. You'll be stretched racially. You'll be stretched socioeconomically. You'll, you'll be stretched in every single way if you attend this church. Because I was in a small group this year that had somebody from the Philippines, somebody from uh, South America, somebody from Africa, and I had somebody from, from, from out west. They were fun people, the out west people. And I had people from every ethnic background. I had people from everything. I had people who were older than me. I had people who were younger than me. I had people who had just got out of prison. I had people who were lawyers, doctors, and PhDs and psychiatrists at the hospital. I had people of every single background, and we sat together as absolute equals and shared our understanding of the word with each other and prayed for each other and cared for each other. And if you don't get to do that, you will not get stretched. Being in community will stretch you. You'll get to experience people. You'll get to experience their lives. And sometimes they'll say something, you'll go, wow. And then everybody turns, looks at the pastor, goes, 
What are you going to do with that? You're going to, oh, that was awesome. And then you get to experience people journeying together, working out life. You know, when you're not in community like that, you're not going to be stretched. Well, I hang with my own little crew, and we all agree with what we agree with, and we're stuck on our own little stuff. You know, God wants the multifaceted wisdom of God to be revealed, and it won't be revealed unless we allow ourselves to experience a broad variety of the people he loves. And that's a beautiful thing. Anyway, that was a commercial for Wednesday nights. Amen. Amen. It's like two minutes to 12, and you're looking at the clock already. Have you moved it up on me? Okay, that's awesome. So hindrance is tradition. And you know, you get traditions. Churches have traditions. If you got traditions, you got traditions in your life, we got traditions. And you know, Jesus said your traditions have made the word of God lose all of its power. And when you elevate traditions, because the next day they set everything back up, even though Jesus had come and blown it all wide open, the very next day they set their traditions back up again. You know, traditions and, and the way we do things. And you, some people have a traditional view of the Bible. Well, I like to think. And when I hear that, I go, oh, boy, you're in for it now. Because I like to think about stuff, don't you? But people like to think, and they've been taught even traditions about the Word of God. They've been taught traditions about Jesus. They've been taught traditions about how God functions that are not the teachings of the Word. They're teachings of man, and they're traditions of man. And sometimes you got to be willing to honestly evaluate what it is you're standing on and what you believe in. I will never evaluate what I believe in, ever! Well, that's awesome. Sometimes you got to get in circles and, and don't be afraid because if what you really believe, you know you believe. I am absolutely confident that God will keep me established in the truth. And I'm not afraid of the enemy who's going to deceive me. I'm convinced that he's the way, the truth, of life, and I'm secure in him. But please don't still be afraid to think. Okay, that was good, Pastor. Thank you very much. So sacrifice. Sacrifices were over. Jesus was saying these sacrifices are done. And a couple days later, he was the sacrifice once and for all, which means sacrifice of a way of having an experience with God is over. And yet in church, we still got religious structures where we got to sacrifice. We got to obey more. You got to do more. You got to get more hungry. You got to get more thirsty. I'm kind of like, do you have a hunger meter that I can find out when have I actually hit 10? And when I get to 10, do I finally get my breakthrough? It's, it's like, oh, you know, you got to put in more effort if you want to get the goodness of God. Well, I read my Bible. It says Jesus put in all the effort. All I have to do is say thank you. But, but all of that stuff, it may sound good to the flesh, but literally we're putting distance between people and the fulfillment of God in their lives. And so Jesus came in to remove the hindrances and bounce them all off. Number two, he restores the purpose. He said, the house is a house of prayer. This place, tell you what, we are declaring to all the nations freedom for everyone. Jesus did it all. That's the good news, and the purpose got restored. Number three, makes room, makes room for healing. It's not that healing's not possible, and it's not that God can't heal. It's that sometimes we're just so busy in the nonsense that there's no room for God to even move or touch people. So, you know, boom, when, when Jesus is there, because Jesus is what's in our heart, because Jesus is central to everything we do, there's a passion to see him move and see lives touch so the broken can come without shame and they can experience his love by doing that we make room for the nations to be healed another slide here we go root problem gets exposed what's the root problem the root problem is religious devils always manifest when liberty and freedom are an expression whenever you declare you're free a religious devil will say careful now 
What do you mean by freedom? I mean absolutely free. Oh, careful now. Free to do what? Free to totally, absolutely serve Jesus. But not based on your scale of what that looks like. I mean completely free. Well, you have to be careful with that freedom. Really? It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Stand firm in the liberty that he set you free in. You know, but religious devils always want to go to the tree of knowledge of good and evil and start to scale your freedom and start to scale. You know, here's the things you need. If you're really free, you have to manifest these things. And they put you on that treadmill of performance over and over again because whenever you really declare freedom for all, right away the devil comes in and he starts, he's, what he's saying is wrong, what he's saying is not right. He's doing it right now in your head. Be careful what the pastor's saying. He's gone too far. He's off his rocker. I'm not that good. His grace, if sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And you know what that word much more abound is? Abound is abound, but the much more is hyper. It's where we get the word hyper. So somebody said, you preach hyper grace. Yeah, that's what the Bible preaches too. So I thought you had a Bible. It's all good right there. Read it if you like. Grace, you can never go wrong with the goodness of God. And that's what happens when Hosanna to the son of David, kids, start to feel free. Broken people start to feel like they can come. I had a guy this week say, oh, I couldn't come to church. If I, if I walked in the doors, it would fall on me. I, well, I hear that a lot, but honestly, let's, let's try it out. I'll get you a helmet, and I just want to try it out. You know, would you please? No way, man. I tell you, I'm so evil, the place would fall on me. I go, he's so good. It doesn't matter how evil you are. He's got you covered. As long as after two weeks you change. We got all those little things that pop in. I love everybody for about six months. You got to love everybody forever. And if you can't do that, then there's a greater sin going on in your life called your own self-righteousness. And it's showing. You got to give freedom. Am I okay, honey? Am I doing all right? Are you give, need to give me the eyes a little bit, bring it down, settle down. It's okay. Are you gritting your teeth? Okay. <laughs> Cheryl's my barometer. She can tell me when you've gone too far. She just kind of says, need to pull it back in now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Pastor Cheryl. Okay. Uh, number five, the realm of grace is restored. And that's really what we want. And that's what Jesus wanted to do. Because Jesus came from the Father. And what was he? He was grace truthfully some people say well he was grace and truth so sometimes it's grace sometimes you share grace pastor but sometimes you share the truth that's not what it is like god doesn't stop being grace when he's truth that'd be kind of like when god's manifesting wrath he's no longer loving it's like he has to step into one attribute at a time hang on everybody i'm moving the love stage going to wrath <laughs> oh, back to love i'm grace right now but whoop, here comes the truth Study it out. I am grace, truthfully. I, he is grace, absolutely. He is truthfully a manifestation, absolutely, of grace. And that's what needs to be manifest today. There is a revival happening in the earth today, and it's called the grace of God. And it's calling to everybody who's broken and messed up in any way and saying, the Father's home. Come on home. Come on home. There's room. There's room for the blind, the lame, the painful, the hurt, the broken. There's room. There's room to come. And it'll be a place where even a child will say, Hosanna. I can see the presence of God.